This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Tara Tibbetts from Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm Emily Esterson from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And you are listening to the special fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 15th. This is episode 2059. This episode is brought to you by the Masters of Foxhounds Association and Coverside, the magazine of mounted fox hunting. So this is the special episode about fox hunting that we have the third Thursday of every month that I was joyfully able to convince Emily to co-host with me. And we are pretty fast and furious heading into formal hunt season. It's opening hunt season this month for lots of hunts. Um, We had ours last week and I know several others have theirs in the first couple of weeks of November. So, yep, we had ours also same day. Yeah, so we'll be we'll be talking to uh, to some folks today about their early experiences of fox hunting. Jen, tell us what's coming up on the show. Coming up on today's fox hunting show, we're going to have a chat with Ep Wilson about the epic omni opening meet that happens every year at Bell Mead. And Susan Friedland Smith from Saddle Seeks Horse tells tells us about her very first experience in the hunt field. She went out with the Santa Fe West Hills Hunt. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. So uh, I want to tell you that I went to Fitzpatrick, Alabama, of all places, which is about 20 miles from Montgomery and about two hours from Atlanta, and uh, was a spectator in the Grand Championship Hound Performance Trials, which was the culmination of a year-long performance trials of various hunts that all around the country. And I'd never been to a performance trial before. So it was pretty like, it was hugely educational for me, even though I've been fox hunting for quite a while. And, you know, fox hunting isn't really a competitive sport, but this was a way for people to sort of get together and enjoy fox hunting and also have a bit of competition. So it was pretty cool. There were uh, 25 hunts, about 130 people in the field, 130 horses, they told me, and 55 hounds. And that was, it was just incredible. And two days of hunting. And uh, Ep Wilson's going to talk a little bit about that later on and, uh, and how the weekend went. It was actually not a weekend. It was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but uh, it was really, really fun, fun event. And uh, people from all over the country there, you know, some great huntsmen, and really incredible, like how they judge the thing. You know, they have these people there that are just galloping along. They have eight judges and they have to keep up with the hounds, no matter where the hounds are. And, um, and then they have these little tape recorders and they talk into the tape recorder while they're galloping, keeping up. And they have to look at their watch and talk into the tape recorder and record what they're seeing. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine being a judge. And I have to ask Emily, I saw a lot of coverage of this on Facebook and, and other social media. Who was being judged and who won? So 
they were judging the packs of hounds. And so you had to qual your hounds had to qualify to be here. And they, um, the, the hounds, you know, they're judging the packs. And so there were three or four hounds in each pack and, or in each, uh, the, the whole pack was three or four hounds from each hunt. And they had to form this, this pack, you know, that these hounds have never hunted together before. So the first day they were a little bit disjointed. And then the second day they were really together. Um, so it was really interesting. And so they were judging the hunts and the, the, the hunts that won was Midland Fox hounds. Now to, to just point this out, we were in Midland's territory. So, you know, these hounds supposedly had hunted there before, but they said that it wasn't, you know, when I asked that question, like, okay, so these hounds have hunted here before, they know the country, does this automatically skew in their favor? And most people said that, no, it didn't really do that, that the hounds um, were all different from all different places and that they'd been to other performance trials where hounds that were not from that territory actually did win. So, um, so Hillsborough and Midland were the two top performing packs. And um, it was just, it was really fun. I mean, it was fun to watch. Okay. So, Inquiring yeah. minds need to know, was it not the loudest canine performance competition ever? It was pretty loud so, and beautiful. But beautiful, like wow. beautiful to hear 55 hounds giving voice in the wow, woods. Wow, 55 hounds. Yeah, like echoing in, in the, you know, in the forest. I mean, it was just, it was pretty, pretty incredible. So all, all season long for our, or for a given period of time each year, uh, fox hunts can qualify their pack to go to the championships. Now, do they have to nominate particular hounds or does the pack qualify and then the huntsman gets to decide which hounds go? Okay. So this was kind of a special deal because, um, this was a, uh, this was the first time they've had, well, not the first time they had, they used to have this a long time ago, um, a national championship. There are a lot of, there are several hunts that have um, a performance trial every year and that like Sedgefield has one. And I think, um, Bell Mead has one and, and the hunts come from all over and Sedgefield has been doing it for quite a while. And they, um, and, but this was the first year that they did these performance trials sort of all over the country. And as part of this whole heart forward tour, which is a, a kind of a big fundraiser for the MFHA. So it was a little bit special. Um, they did it in 2007 um, which was the centennial of the MFHA. And that was a big year long celebration. So they kind of repeated it. And so the championship was a, a one-time thing and they'll probably not, um, not repeat it. The hounds, they bring, the hunts bring a few hounds, like their best hounds to these qualifiers. And those hounds then either do really well and qualify for the championship or they don't. And so this uh, event was all the qualifying hounds. So it was the okay. best of the best. Okay. So in yeah. order to qualify, they're qualifying as, you know, these four special hounds get to go and do the qualifiers as well. Got it. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, exactly. Th and honestly, I didn't know very much about this myself. So I, I was learning as I went. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so obviously they're all fairly hunted hounds versus a hound, a fox hound that might be, um, a bench dog or a dog that is that 
is shown in confirmation classes like you would associate with the AKC. These are actual working foxhounds that qualify for this. Yeah, they are. And there and there there was a bench show that went along with it on the night the the opening night they had a bench show. And it was funny because a lot of these hounds have never been in the show ring before. They don't go to the foxhound yeah, show. Yeah, and, they, and uh, they weren't they weren't behaving themselves were they? Yeah, well, you know, they don't know how to stand up and they're like there's all these people taking pictures and they're like the paparazzi and the hounds like are like ah, wow, yeah. wow. Wagging their, wagging their tails, licking people, jumping up and down. Yeah. yeah. Why yeah, does this guy keep touching me and putting my feet in weird places? Yeah. <laughs> why do they keep throwing that darn biscuit? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Where are the horses? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're just, and you know, foxhounds by their nature are, are kind of shy, or a lot of them are, especially Penn Marydales. They're, they're a little bit on the shyer side. So having they're very all, reserved, I'm, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. That's so exciting. I can't wait to hear, for, hear about more from that of that from uh, Epp. But I think it is time for us to get on to the expression of the day. What is going to be the fox hunting word of the day? It's cover. C-O-V-E-R-T. Cover. The T is silent. And it's basically the place where the fox or the coyote hides. And oftentimes you find the cover in... Um, in a wooded area, like a deeply wooded area, um, or, you know, a, a hollow or like alongside a pond. So it's basically a good hiding spot. And when the huntsman casts the hounds into the cover, they're trying to sort of see what's happening and scent and scent the fox or the coyote and, and, um, ask, you know, see if it's in there and if they can flush it out. So that's what the word of the day is cover. Well, there you have it. That's the word of the day. And Emily, the most oft question anytime the topic with riding with the hounds comes up is where do I find a hunt near me? Well, there is a directory out there on the World Wide Web. Oh, that dates me, doesn't it? Um, on the internet uh, at the Masters of Foxhounds Association. Uh, you can go to mfha.com and there's a map there. And uh, if you look at the map, it'll it'll show you with little dots where all the hunts are in the United States. And there's also a directory, a printed directory that we publish in an online version. Um, and you can look up your state and you can look up the hunt and there, all the information you need to know about how to get in touch with the hunt, how many days, what seasons, what clothes they wear. All of that information is in the hunt roster. And um, that's also available on MFHA.com. So, and I will say from my experience, um, some hunts have active websites, some don't, some have Facebook pages, some don't. You're always going to get the best information if you contact someone who's listed with MFHA. I know folks in my hunt who are masters are not very likely to update Facebook or update those other things. But if you call them, they will absolutely call you back and give you all the information you could ever want. So we have kind of a theme on today's show, Emily, the, you know, opening hunt season and and talking about how we started hunting. So we have a guest talking about opening hunt and then we have a guest talking about how she started hunting. So I thought it would be fun if you and I talked about how we started hunting and I think you should go first. Okie doke. Well, so my story is a little unique because um, I was an event rider. Um, I was an eventer and... Uh, I was living in Massachusetts and um, moved to New Mexico for a job. And there's not a ton of eventing out here. So 
Um, in fact, there's practically no eventing. And within a, you know, within a seven hour drive is our like closest big event. And so I kind of like my eventing career kind of stalled. And, um, and then I kind of found out that they were fox hunting out here. And I thought, oh, that would be a kind of a cool way to keep my horse fit. So I went out um, once or twice with the local hunt and my event horse was like, well, I don't think so. It was like, he just wasn't, didn't really have the, have the mind for it. Um, and so I kind of, you know, didn't do very much after that. But then I got this um, invitation to apply for an editorship of the magazine Coverside, the fox hunting magazine. And um, I publish magazines and have been an editor for a really, really long time, like my entire career, and um, and worked for most of the horse magazines um, at one point or another as an editor. And I thought, okay, well, I can do this. Um, and so I applied and um, I got the contract. And then I started really hunting and went out sort of every week and to learn as much as I could. And I didn't really have a horse, so I rode a lot of other people's horses and borrowed a lot of horses. So, um, so it's kind of a, kind of a accidental, uh, love affair because I certainly within about two months of starting to get serious about it, I really fell in love with it. Um, and I should also just mention that when I was a teenager, I'd gone out a couple of times with Golden's Bridge cause I worked at a barn where the guy, the, the owner was a, a fox hunter and he took me once or twice, um, on this really old, big gray horse named smoke so um of course everybody has a smoke don't they a smoky or a right. smoke you know somewhere yeah so what about so, you tara what how did you get started well uh, first i have to ask when you first got to new mexico how did you hear about the hunt um i how did i hear about that's a good question i i can't even really remember I, I think you've been in new mexico more than a couple of years yeah, 20 years now. Oh, my gosh. So, you, um, so you've been hunting off and on at least for 20 years. Yeah, off and on. Yeah. So I would say, how did I hear about it? Um, a friend of mine. Um, oh, I, I think of eventers as people who like kind of seek out fox hunting. Yeah. Um, it was actually a friend of mine who was an eventer who hunted. That's how I know. She retired. She was a retired eventer, but she was the okay. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So my story is probably a little bit more cattywampus. Um, I grew up riding quarter horses in Montana. My dad was a cutter. My family has large ranches. I moved cattle pretty up consistently during branding season, during calving season, yada, yada, yada. So I'd always had a love affair and an infatuation with riding English. And I talked my parents into getting me an English saddle when I was like 12 and I showed quarter horses and I had a couple off the track quarter horses that I jumped, but shockingly in far Eastern Montana, we're talking like a hundred miles from North Dakota. There was not, um, there were not a plethora of English riding instructors. So Needless to say, most of my jumping was by myself and I just kind of went to some shows and, and did what I could and off I went into life and went to college and graduated from college and I moved to Fort Worth, Texas because I couldn't, I'd never been any place where there were more horses than in Fort Worth, Texas. So I moved here after undergrad. Um, my parents decided a few years after I'd moved here that I needed to take my, at the time, 13-year-old 
quarter horse that I'd gone to the world championships in reigning with, and he needed to live with me in Texas and I needed to sponsor him because they were done. So trying to think of the short version of the story. My dad passed away a year after my dad passed away. I was in Montana. I was riding my mom's young horse and I decided I needed to buy a yearling thoroughbred. I'd never owned a thoroughbred. I just wanted, I'd I'd done a lot of baby horses. I'd broken a lot of horses to ride um, and done that. And so I wasn't intimidated by the whole process. So I bought this yearling thoroughbred. Fast forward, he turns three and I decide that I don't really have the time to really put a lot into teaching him to ride. So I sent him to a trainer that was referred to me by my next door neighbor. I told you this was a cattywampus story. So the long and short of it is the trainer that I sent my three-year-old thoroughbred to teach to ride had been a former master of a hunt around Fort Worth, Texas. And Needless to say, when she told me there was a fox hunt in Fort Worth, Texas, I had to sit down because I was in shock and super excited. So that fall, I think I took Sterling to her in like September, October, and it was kind of the perfect timing. And she invited me to go to opening hunt. And as I had this now, I want to say Jaguar was probably like 16 or 17 years old by this time, my old reigning horse. He embarked on his new career as a fox hunter. And as it turns out, if, you know, people always say, if you have any regrets in your life, if you would ever do anything different. And I wouldn't say it was a regret, but if I could, I'd go back in time and I would not have made that horse a reigning horse. He would have been an inventor because he was crazy brave to jump. He loved being in the hunt field. And I always felt like my knowledge and experience working cattle as a kid really helped me ride with the hounds here in Texas. Um, And it varies a little bit based on your geography. But after I hunted for probably three or four seasons, I started helping whip in. And now I've, this is my ninth season hunting with Brazos Valley and I whip in. And the, the kind of funny story, and we'll talk about this probably on a different episode, but that, that thoroughbred horse that I had taught to ride by that trainer, I hunted him one season and needless to say, the hunt field was not his calling. Yeah. But but my little quarter horse reigning horse loved it. And he hunted until he was 23. You know, it's funny you should say that because our um, one of the horses that I got to ride when I was sort of horseless, I mean, I have a whole, I had a whole stable full of horses. So I have four horses here too. Um, one was a dressage horse. One was my eventer, you know, none of them really liked the hunt field. So I rode this horse um, periodically who was a cutting, had been a champion cutting horse. And he was, he was a little guy. He was 14 one. He's still, he's still with us. I don't, I'm not, I don't know why I'm talking the past tense, but (laughs) he was absolutely the most fun horse to ride. And periodically I would whip in on him, um, in the, in the drag position, which is behind the huntsman. And he was like riding a Ferrari. I mean, he yeah. was so light and, and I, you know, and I was used to all these big warm bloods and I thought, Oh, you know, he's going to have this choppy little canter and it's not going to be comfortable. Oh my God, that horse could cover the ground like nobody's business. And his experience as a cutting horse, I think made him a great, a great ride in the hunt field. And also like, you know, this as a whipper in, like you've got, you know, you've got your whip and you've got reins and you've got all this, you know, 
You got a lot of stuff in your hands. You got stuff in your hands. So to have a horse that's super light, as they say in the Western world, has a great handle, you know, that's the best. So. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Really cool. cool. And I must say, I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear you say that, Emily, because some of the best horses I have ever hunted were little horses. And for that exact reason, they were small and quick and catty. Handy. Yeah. And they were just so easy to ride. And, yeah. and that, that was a big fence in front of them. They didn't matter. They didn't care if they were small. Yep. They jumped it. It didn't matter. That yeah. was always Jaguar's big advantage. I felt like in the hunt field and, and I know the, the land that we hunt here in Texas is very different than, you know, hunts back East and we don't hunt big giant properties where our horses, especially for whipping in Jaguar probably turned harder and faster whipping hounds than he ever did as a reigning horse. Yeah. Wow. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And you know, my horse, when I did eventually get a horse specifically for fox hunting, it was little, it was 14.3, you know, and the horse that I tried to hunt for a couple of years was 17.3. He was a big Irish draft. But he and looked pretty. He looked great, and but he, he was a former jumper, and he'd been a master's horse at a certain point in Virginia, and and he was he was kind of burned out. He was he was too like the whole thing made him really panicky. And so there I'd be flying along, you know, with a 17.3 hand horse, and I'm only five, three and a half, so you know, I'm not a big person. And I was uh, trying to stop this giant horse. And he's like, wow, ah! you know, <laughs> so I was very happy to get something little. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, I know like in our hunt field, we have a halflinger, we have a percheron, we've got quarter horses, we've got thoroughbreds, we've got Arabians. And Susan talks a little bit, or she'll talk a little bit about seeing different breeds of horses in her field. And I think that, you know, really with hunting, the sky's the limit. There's no right or wrong breed yep you're right there's no right or wrong breed it's it's if the horse has the mind for fox hunting he's a good fox hunter that is exactly true and it's you know it's kind of the same with the people like if the people have the mind for it it doesn't matter what discipline you come from i mean we've got that's that's true you're right yeah Yeah. so yeah in our field we have uh, we have several endurance riders we have a couple of just people who just trail ride we have some competitive trail riders. We have some eventers. We have some hunter jumper people, um, and we have some dressage people, and we have some cowboys. Oh, so, cool. you yeah, know, really wide variety. We do. We have a huge variety. So. Yeah, we do. We have all the same, and we've got a. We have, and this surprised me because, like, I mean, I'm from Eastern Montana, where it's just like all cowboys. We have a strong contingent of polo players in our group. Really? Oh yeah, polo. Yeah. yeah, we have a few polo players too. Yeah. And, and they've invited pony. me out and I'm terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. You get a stick and ball a little bit. <laughs> so hard. But you know, polo ponies are also make great fox hunters because they are used to like the commotion, you know, and they're, and they're catty and quick and, um, you know, and they're used to like having a lot of horses around them and, you know, moving fast and yep. having they are, people. They are broke, broke, broke. Nothing can surprise and- a polo pony. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. what, what they've said that they like about hunting for their polo ponies is it teaches them to stand still a little bit, mm-hmm. oh, which, which polo ponies don't. I mean, they're kind of going a mile a minute and then they're done. And so they like to bring their, their polo ponies out and just you have to sit sometimes. 
So our first guest today is Susan Friedland-Smith. She is the author of Saddle Seeks Horse, the blog, and she is going to tell us about her experience first time fox hunting. Susan, tell us a little bit about your horsey self, and then we're going to talk about your experience fox hunting recently. Okay. Well, I live in Orange County, and I am a lifelong horse lover, and I got my first horse as a teenager, and I've been through a series of horses, and I'm in my 40s, and I have an off-track thoroughbred named Knight, and I'm a teacher by day, and uh, my horse has been on layup uh, for the last few months, so I actually haven't even been in the saddle that much, but I knew about fox hunting early on because before I had a horse, a very nice lady that was kind of family friends of ours um, had a field hunter outside of Chicago in Wayne, Illinois. And um, his name was Jim Dandy and he was a bald faced quarter horse. And so um, I knew about fox hunting because the horse I learned how to ride on was a field hunter. Fabulous. So what, what kind of horse sport previous to night's layup, like what, what kind of riding do you do now as an adult? Oh, um, mostly just lessons and local hunter jumper shows. Um, we have a couple of real nice thoroughbred horse shows out here in Southern California. And, uh, yeah, so that's what I, my involvement, um, I've had night for four years and I've just gone to a handful of shows in that time. Cause you know, the amateur journey is kind of, a difficult one. Um, I have a really lengthy commute too, so I don't get to be with my horse as much as I would like to. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. And so you have a blog, Saddle Seeks Horse, and I follow your blog and I follow you on Instagram. And so I had noticed you posted recently about going on a fox hunt. Yes, I did. Well, so I went tell us all hunt, about it. I'm, yeah. Okay. So um, I went with one of my girlfriends, Amy, um, the local hunt out here in Southern California, the Santa Fe hunt was having a clinic. And so this thing popped up on my Facebook feed and I looked at the clinic date and it was October 6th. And I'm like, that is my birthday. That's what I want to do for my birthday. <laughs> so um, I knew it would be more fun with a friend so we could be the newbies and, you know, make the mistakes together and drive out there, et cetera, because it's kind of a distance from where we live. So um, we called you know, the number, got in touch with the people that were kind of organizing the event and explained to them, you know, I didn't really have a horse that I could ride at the moment. And um, Amy was at the time horse shopping, so she didn't have a horse either. She does now, but, um, they said, Oh yeah, we have some horses available. Um, you know, we told them our level of riding and this would be our first time hunting and they're like, great, come on out. So we went to the clinic and, um, just had a ball. It was so much fun, perfect weather, beautiful, uh, area of Southern California. I'd never been to it's a bit of a drive, but, um, manageable. So, Susan, this is Emily speaking. I'm curious as to what they covered in the clinic. Well, we got a series of emails, and um, so it was kind of like ahead of time, and it was very informational. Like, uh, for safety, this is kind of, you know, how fox hunting is done. And, again, I was familiar a little bit with it just because the riding area that I grew up in, um, you know, there's several um, fox hunts kind of out west of Chicago. 
and I've known people through my lifetime, not so many here in Southern California, but who've been kind of active with fox hunting. So I was a little bit aware of that. But um, then when we got there, they just uh, had some kind of opening remarks um, and then made sure that we knew, you know, which uh, field master we were going to be going along with. And it was very, um, I don't know, I thought it might be intimidating at first, but once we got there, it was just like a bunch of people hanging out with their horses. And actually, when I talked to um, the master of Foxhounds, who was kind of the person heading up, you know, trying to find horses for Amy and I to borrow for that day, um, I can't remember what we were talking about, but at one point he said, oh, we're just a bunch of happy pumpkins who love to be with our horses and outside. And I was cracking up. I'm like, okay. And I texted my friend right away. I was like, okay. He said they're a bunch of happy pumpkins. And so we were both like, yeah, we're totally down with that. Okay, so, so was that was that Terry Payne? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Terry's a great guy. He's he's a lot of fun and uh, and just really enjoys the sport and lo- loves having people come out hunting with him. Yeah, and in fact, um, so that was the clinic, and then this last weekend is when I went. So I actually joined the hunt as a social member, so that um, entitles me to ride with them a few times this season. So I went out this past weekend um, for opening day and uh, he, we were chatting a little bit and he said, you know, I've done basically all the things that are, you can do on horseback and this is the most fun. And so then afterwards, after I had fabulous time, um, you know, I told him, I was like, I laughed, I cried, like it was amazing. And he's like, he he was smiling. He's like, I told you. Yeah, I think Terry used to train steeplechase horses. I, I'm not sure, but it seems I, I have a recollection of that. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, he, I'm, I'm, I'm such a newbie to getting to know these people and just you know how yeah. it is out here. I know also that they're pretty close to. Um, I think it's Galway, the big eventing facility, and I know uh, I have some friends from New Mexico who actually go out there to California and board with him and train um, with some eventing trainers at his place. So it's it's a small horse world. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah. So one thing, Susan, that a lot of listeners ask me and mention is, you know, is it intimidating? Did you feel like you had to have the right clothes? Did you, were you afraid to talk or ask questions or kind of tell us a little bit about the feel of the first hunt? And I know opening is always a little bit more formal than the rest of the season. Well, I can only speak to my experience in this California fox hunt. So I'm sure it's probably different, you know, depending on what part of the country you're in and that but it was not at all intimidating. I mean, like me thinking about it ahead of time was intimidating. And um, I will admit I was kind of nervous uh, Friday night as I was you know, trying to make sure my boots were clean and, you know, that my hunt coat that I had just ordered because I didn't own a black hunt coat, um, you know, wasn't wrinkly from being in the box that was shipped to me just a couple days earlier. Um, so I started thinking like, okay, just relax. You were already there for the clinic and everyone was so nice and you could tell they were having it because they want to introduce people to the sport. And it think of it as you're just going on a ride through beautiful countryside with friends you've yet to meet. 
so you know, uh, yeah, so I kind of had a little pep talk with myself and, um, uh, as far as feeling like you have to have the right equipment or whatever, um, I spent, uh, I don't know, probably had a half hour conversation. Um, like as I was kind of in process trying to figure out, do I want to really join and commit, um, and try this out, um, <clears throat> with Claire and I believe she's the secretary. I think that's her title. But um, she told me, like, you know, well, what do you, I went through, like, okay, well, I have a helmet, and it's, you know, Charles Owen, so it kind of has a velvet look. I don't have dress boots. I only have field boots. I have a green hunt coat and a navy, and she assured me. She said, okay, don't wear green. She said, but if you wear navy, no one is going to, you know, be upset by that. Or So it just sounded very much like we just want you to come out experience what this is with us and so I felt very very welcomed and um I actually lost my riding gloves so that was one of the things and I'm like how can I not have my riding gloves what did I do with them couldn't find them anywhere and uh so I got there I thought well I'll just you know be the new girl that's like totally disorganized and have to borrow from someone so I told Terry I was like Terry I don't have any gloves I don't know where they are so he had a few different pairs and then I, I couldn't find a pen. I had to write a check for, you know, hiring out the horse. And I'm like, I'm sorry to be the needy newbie. And he said, it just gives us a chance to take care of you a little bit. So I just was kind of blown away. Like these people were awesome and it couldn't have been a more, you know, warm kind of vibe. I think there's always somebody at every hunt who has a trailer full of extra gear. Like there's always, there is always that person who has like six extra pairs of gloves and five helmets and an extra black coat. And like, we, we have somebody in our hunt who's that way. And, and you just, just ask Nancy, she has it, you know? Mm -hmm. So tell, tell us about the horse um, and that experience of riding a horse you've never ridden before in your first hunt. Okay. Well, I, so I, I was really, I didn't think I was going to get to ride because it was opening. And, um, but I thought, you know what? You have not because you ask not. Like I can always ask and they can say, no, sorry, all the horses are taken for this. So kind of last minute, I got a text um, from Terry and said, you know, give me a call. I have a mirror that came available. She can go first field. She can go in any of the fields. So I was excited and then I was kind of mildly terrified because I thought there's no way I'm going first field. And like, if they put me on a horse, um, that, you know, maybe has that get up and go and wants to jump everything. And that's just not where I am in my riding. Um, so when I spoke to him on the phone, I was like, okay, I just want to clarify, like, I'm going to try second field, but you know, I'm not one to gallop and like jump solid three foot six fences, you know, little logs, that kind of stuff's great. And he said, oh, no, she's going to be wonderful. She could go in any of the fields. We've had little kids on her. We've had older people on her. Like, you're not going to want to get off this horse once you start riding her because she's the best. And he was absolutely right. So she was um, she's a chestnut thoroughbred mare. Um, her name is Creole Rose. I don't know how old she is. And her owner had to go out of town suddenly. Um, so I had the opportunity to ride her and she was amazing. And um, yeah, just really knew her job. I was a little worried just because, you know, I've been an arena rider for so long. 
um, that like when we were kind of picking up speed and there's, you know, about 15 of us in second field and I really didn't want, I was worried like, Oh, I'm getting too close to the horse, the horse ahead of me. And you know, if they stop, how am I going to be able to stop in time? But then it kind of dawned on me like, Oh, she's got this all figured out. And they like, they know how to move with each other because they're herd animals, but also because she's probably done this, you know, so many times before. So she was very responsive and just, she was amazing. <laughs> so did you, were, were you were, you said you were in second field. Um, were there a lot yeah. of jumps in first field? Were you, and were you able to see the action of the hounds? Um, not, not a ton of the action, um, but a little bit like from the distance. So, um, so we were, I don't want to say significantly behind because it sounds like we didn't see anything, but we were kind of, you know, blazing our own path. And, um, yeah, so the jumps that I did see and I didn't really get a chance to see anyone jump them that would look, you know, I'm not an inventor, but it would look like, you know, the kind of solid wooden dumps that <laughs> scare someone like me. So, um, yeah, I didn't see any of that, but the jumps that I did, I jumped a ditch. I was really proud of myself for that. And it was like, I had no choice <laughs> to get scared because it just came up so fast. And it was like, my brain was processing as I'm going over it, like I'm jumping a ditch. <laughs> so that was pretty exhilarating. And then um, there were some kind of down trees that we jumped over to. So you didn't necessarily have to jump all the jumps. It was more of an option. No. Oh, and they told, yeah. And what, the other thing I love, and like, you know, my day job, I'm a teacher. So I, I like to explain things to people, you know, a few times, you know, so people are really well aware of what they're doing or whatever. So I appreciate that as an adult learner. So they made it very clear, the field master, like, okay, this next part that we're going to, there will be some logs. If you want to jump them, great. If you don't, just go wide. So there was nothing where it was like, well, except for the ditch, but it, I mean, it wasn't like a ditch, at, you know, the Kentucky three event like that, but to, you know, in my mind it was just because I've never jumped a ditch before it was small, but, um, yeah, there was nothing was like, I, I don't know. I didn't feel overfaced at all or surprised by anything. Awesome. And is, is that a drag hunt or is that a live hunt? No, I, I think it's a live hunt, and um, from what I understand, it's coyote out in okay. that area. Yeah. So, Susan, um, I'm curious, did the field master also explain to you kind of what was happening in the rest of the hunt? Uh, did she kind of give you a, a briefing about what was going on? Um, a little bit. We stopped for checks a handful of times and I told them up front, I said, you know, I'm going to go second field. I said, but I just haven't been riding that much. So I may have to drop back just from a like physical fitness standpoint um, later. And I actually did it like at the last check, but um, I mean, she was trying to caution people like, you know, we, Oh, like at one point we, so it's a cattle, like a yeah cattle ranch, um, the property that we were on. And so part of it, we were going through a field where there was apparently a wayward calf. And I, I actually thought it was like a large uh, chocolate lab running alongside of us. And then it was like, okay, it's a calf, you know, don't 
like just keep going, don't stop, like don't, you know, go up to it. Um, so I felt like as things were coming up, there was kind of this like almost tour guide, <laughs> like explaining, like, do this, don't do that. And you could just tell it was all about safety. That's uh, it's a good field master is, you know, is the purpose of a good field master is to keep everybody safe and to kind of keep them in the right place so they can see what's going on and at the same time have a good time, you know, and, and that's, I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty good, pretty good tour guide slash field master on your first hunt. Definitely. Definitely. And then I I was kind of getting into, I thought, well, maybe I should, you know, maybe I'll just keep going. Um, But there was another rider that wanted to drop back to third field. And so then she kind of looked at me and said, do you mind? Because I was like, oh, I'm going to drop back now. And then I, I said, maybe I should just keep going. Because she said, well, we're, we're not going for that much longer. But then I thought, no, you know, I'll, I'll wait. So I, you could, I mean, even though I d- still don't know a lot about, like, the inner workings of how the protocol is, I could tell, like, okay, they wanted someone to be there with this person so that no one's alone. Right. So we kind of waited, and then the third field came up. So how long were you out for total, do you think? How many... How much time? Um, well, I was wearing my Fitbit because I was very excited to see what my data would be. But um, I think, but I forgot, of course, to hit it to activate the workout. Um, so I'm thinking it was about two hours total. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think. Hour 40. I think you have to set your Fitbit on like, I think it's on cycle. Like if you put it on cycling, then you get the right, mm-hmm. the, then you get the right sort of data when you, when you come back. But there's also these apps that, that you can get. Um, I have one called track my ride and it basically tells you how far, how fast and gives you the path. And, um, as long as you can connect to the satellite, it's a pretty, pretty cool thing to have. Yeah. So are you going to go back out? Oh yeah. So, um, when I made the decision and wrote the check, like, okay, I'm going to do the social membership this year and I'm entitled to three, um, you know, provided that there's horses available. Um, I went ahead and in the email, I just said, these are the three dates that I'm interested in. So if a horse is available, I'll be going again uh, this Saturday after Thanksgiving. That's so wonderful. Yeah, it's awesome. And the other really cool thing, um, uh, like I've lived in California for about 20 years. I'd never been to this part of California and I thought for a minute I was in Colorado like it just looked very different um and come to find out the place where we were hunting they used to shoot uh scenes for Bonanza and it's been used in some of the other movies and I think they have weddings there it's called Garner Ranch it's just a gorgeous property beautiful yeah I, I know we've had a few members who have um gone hunting out there and had a wonderful experience and they had said that they'd filled Bonanza there so is that near Temecula? Is that where it is? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, not far from there. Um, I, when I went to the clinic, I drove to Temecula first and then followed the trailer with the horses to there. So I'm thinking it's maybe about 45 minutes from Temecula. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that I know from, I, I grew up, um, Montana ranching family, obviously mostly riding Western and I show hunters now. And one of the things I love about fox hunting in my experience is 
so many people come from different walks of horsey life. Did you find that the case with the hunt that you went with? Well, you could just see it looking around at the different types of horses that were there. And, um, and I think I forgot to mention this earlier, but when they had the clinic, um, there was at least a couple of people I saw riding in dressage saddles and a woman had the blingy (laughs) uh, brow band. And so like for the clinic, it was just like, okay, you know, like if you're in a Western, so like, just, just come, just experience the countryside with us. Now it was different, obviously for the, you know, formal hunts, but, um, you know, I rode alongside of a teenager that was on a rescue Arab and there was, uh, you know, a couple draft crosses and just, and obviously a lot of thoroughbreds, but, um, so the horses were very different. Um, the crowd, I would say is maybe a little bit on the older side, but there were kids too. So it was like just a smattering probably of every age demographic. So fun. Yeah, it's really, it's funny. You were talking about the being a hunter rider and we had a, a young woman come out with us um, on Saturday and she, she was wearing her, um, her shad belly, you know, from the hunter derby ring. And uh, that was all she, she had. And she was, she was quite nervous about it. And as she's riding along next to me, she said, this is just like, this is the origin of our sport and I'm getting to do it. And I thought that was, that was a very cool little comment. From yeah. Her. Oh yeah. yeah and other thing too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I think, you know, I, I learned how to ride as a kid kind of doing that kind of riding, not hunting, but just like you get on a horse and you go out in the field and you just go and you do your own thing. And there was something really liberating about, uh, being out there really not being coached. And it's like, you know, I, I know how to do this. Like, you know, I'm not, <laughs> an elite rider, but like, I know how to walk, trot, canter, and I hadn't galloped in years. So that was really fun just because I don't have really the opportunity to do that where I, you know, kept my horses and you know, we're riding in these arenas in the suburbs. And so that was just really kind of amazing. And the other thing too, it's like I had an accident about 20 years ago and my, it was a fluke thing. My horse at the time tripped and I thought he was going to somersault. He didn't, but I shot off face first and broke my nose. And so that kind of replays in my head sometimes when I'm riding in an arena and it happened at the canter and there was no real reason. But so I get really paranoid. Like if the ring is not groomed just perfectly, like, Oh, okay. There's a weird lump over there from where the horse rolled. And, you know, I have to be so ultra careful about the splitting. And like, my mind was just blown at like what we crossed over and like these horses, they weren't tripping. They weren't like, I think I have a weak mind in terms of what I think, you know, is safe or what a horse is capable of doing. And there was one part during the ride where there was a very short, steep hill. And it, I mean, it didn't look to me like there was a trail because there were all these rocks. And like with my horse, if I were out just trail riding, I would have never gone up that. And meanwhile, these people were like cantering up it and no one misplaced a hoof. And I was, I mean, that's the part where I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) Like, I think I, you know, don't give horses enough credit for what they're able to do. And it was, you know, it was safe. Obviously they had been up it before, but from my like limited, you know, in recent years, arena riding perspective, I'm like, what are you, that doesn't look too good up there. But yeah, well, the horses just went. 
No, I totally agree. It's yeah, the the thing that I love and that I always say about fox hunting is that I feel like it's you kind of get all the pomp and circumstance of a horse show where you get to dress up and like at opening the horses are braided, but you're not being judged. You just get to go out and have fun. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and I think personally for me, it's, it's about the most fun you can have on the back of a horse, frankly, because, you know, for all of those reasons you just said, Susan, you know, you learn this. And when you have your own fox hunter, you know, your own field hunter, you learn, you get to this partnership with them. That's, that's pretty amazing. And you know, you know what they're going to do and, and you trust them to go over the, the country. Um, so, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So Susan, I so greatly appreciate you come on and telling us about your experience, your first time fox hunting. So will you tell our listeners how they can find out a little bit more information about you? And I know you have um, something fun to tell us about that you should plug. Sure. Okay. Well, um, so my blog is called Saddle Seeks Horse. And on my blog, you can find how to connect with me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that. But um, I did uh, a blog post, and there are some really gorgeous pictures if people are interested in seeing kind of what it looks like if you were to fox hunt in Southern California. So if you just went to my blog, um, it's one of the more recent entries. It's where you just type in fox hunting into the search. Um, And I just released my first book. So I've written in the equestrian world for a while, both on my blog and for some of the horse magazines like Horse Illustrated and Sidelines. But um, I've had my memoir in the making for a while and it's called Horses Adored and Men Endured and a memoir of falling and getting back up. And it kind of chronicles how when I was 10, I wanted nothing more than to marry a horse and when I was in my mid-30s, I thought I might have to marry my horse because I was just not very good at dating. So I'm pretty excited about that. And um, it's available on Amazon in ebook and um, uh, print. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. And we wish you the very best. And hopefully you'll keep hunting. Oh, yeah. I, I intend to. And I'd love to come back and tell you more stories about hunting. So we're going to talk with Ep Wilson now. He's from Bellmead Hunt, which is in Georgia. And um, I've known Ep for a few years now. And I've always known that they have an absolutely amazing opening hunt that is a community affair. And Ep's going to tell us all about that. How are you today, Ep? Fine, Emily. How are you? Good. We're talking with Ep Wilson. He's the master of the Bellmead Hunt and they have what is arguably the biggest and most extravagant opening hunt ceremony in the entire MFHA. And we've heard about this for uh, for a long, long time. And I've just wa- I've never been there, so I wanted to get up on the phone and and interview him a bit about just what happens at your opening hunt. So why don't you just give us a kind of a rundown on it? Well, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, the The first part of it, the ceremony itself, the blessing ceremony, is the most reverent blessing ceremony that I've ever seen. Um, you know, the good Lord put all these wonderful 
horses and hounds here and countryside and people and um so we feel like if you're going to do a blessing ceremony to do it right um there is a uh, the knox family has been instrumental in bell meat hunt since its founding uh, my father james wilson and his best friend pete knox were the original masters they founded the hunt in 1966 and the Knox family still um, provides a location for opening meat, which is a beautiful old um, antebellum country home in the middle of a pecan grove and with a, just a a tremendous sweeping lawn. And um, we set up a speaker's platform in front of the house and we line up, we'll have a hunt horses and 500 people on tally-ho wagons so that's that's quite a bit of quite a quite a bit of uh, horses hounds um and participants and uh so we'll, App, this we'll, is tara what what's a tally-ho wagon tally-ho wagon is any wagon uh tractor drawn or truck drawn with hay bales on it or some of them have uh, springs and padded seats, and some are just equipment trailers or whatever with some hay bales on them. But that's what the the follows the hunt. Um, we've always had tally-ho wagons. And so for the non-riders to participate in the hunt, Bellmead Hunt has always been family-oriented. That was one of the things the founders insisted upon. Um and so kids, adults, Aunt Susie from Illinois, visiting, whatever, that doesn't ride a horse, is always away. Every hunt has a tally-ho truck or a tally-ho wagon. But on opening meet, we have about 25 to 30 wagons that um, follow the hunt when we leave. once we leave the blessing ceremony. But the blessing ceremony itself, like I said, we line up 50 horses on each side of the yard, and we um, the staff and I will jump in over a, a 30 foot long coop. Uh, we'll jump in five abreast, dismount, hand our horses to juniors that are in the correct hunt attire. And the, the yard is about 500 feet long. So once we get lined up and ready to march down the lawn to present the hounds to the hunt chaplain, um, one of our members sings the national anthem because it's a sporting event. And then we have a couple of the children, uh, recite the bell me toast, which was written by, uh, Ms. Pinky Knox, one of the Knox landowners. And then we march down along with the hounds on foot. I think it's much more reverent to present the hounds on foot to the hunt chaplain and, um, his attendance than it is to ride up on horseback. Um, all of the riders, the, the 50 riders on each side forming a, a lane for us, um, they're all dismounted, hats off, um, and reverent in that attention. And we actually paint a line in the grass, a faint line in the grass, like one toe over the line. We There's a line on each side where... We line the horses up to that point, um, and the, the hunt chaplain tells the St. Hubert story. 
uh, reads the traditional blessing, and everybody comes up and gets a hunt medal, a St. Hubert medal, one by one. So it's Who? like communion with, with horses and hounds. Can you tell us a little bit more about St. Hubert? Or who that is, or, or why St. Hubert comes up sure. at the Blessing? Sure. St. Hubert is the patron saint of sportsmen. He is, um, he was a fox hunter. He was a hunter, a hunter with hounds. He was a stag hunter in the Ardennes Forest in Europe 1,200 years ago. And while on Good Friday, when his wife said it's time to go to church, She's going to church. Don't you want to go? He said, uh, you do the praying and I'll do the hunting. And he went hunting anyway. And he was out in the, in the forest and they were having a great hunt. And he got separated from the other riders. And he came upon this huge stag that had a crucifix in the antlers. And he, he got off his horse and fell down on the ground and said, Lord, what would you have me do? And... And the Lord spoke to him and told him to go see the bishop and talk to him. And the bishop would tell him what what he should do. And he ended up um, he ended up um, becoming a bishop himself and becoming the uh, patron saint of sportsmen, not just fox hunters, uh, hunters with hounds, but patron saint of sportsmen. So you give out your St. Hubert's medals uh, to everybody. In our hunt, we get them when we come off. If we if we have a little little accident, we get we get a little medal at the end of the season. That closing hunt, it's part of the you know here's your St. Hubert's to protect you from from coming off your horse. And uh, so I think it's interesting how hunts have all these different traditions, and every hunt has a different way of of uh, of you know honoring those traditions. Um, so tell us a little bit about the the blessing um, that was written for Bell Mead that that Pinky Knox wrote because uh, I know that's that's a pretty interesting thing too. Well, she wrote the Bell Mead toast and and we call it a toast to fox hunting. Um, and I'll just go. May I go ahead and just recite it for you? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's not how long. It's not and that you can long. Use it or not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You ready? Yes. It's the grandest sport and the greatest thrill to chase the fox from hill to hill through countryside rolling or fields and streams. It's the kind of a course that fulfills sportsmen's dreams. The hunters impatiently ride to and fro, but dash like the wind at the cry tally-ho. The horses are lathered. They too seem to sense the joy and excitement of clearing a fence. So here at the close of a wonderful day of fox hunting and fellowship, may I tribute pay to the master, his staff, and the keeper of hounds. Our toasts and our praises to all know no bounds. Tonight, with the stirrup cup full and o'erflowing, we toast one and all who keep fox hunting going, who join in the chase, though they may take a spill, and who keep coming back, be it sunny or chill. May the joy that results from this sporting event make us healthy and happy and always content. That is just awesome. I really love that. Miss Pinky wrote that she was very, she was a very enthusiastic, wonderful, wonderful, sweet lady. And um, she was the poet laureate of Bellmead Hunt, the poet laureate of our McDuffie County, Georgia. And she never hunted herself, but she captured in that poem to me 
Um, there are a lot of good poems and a lot of good British poems and whatever, but that that is my favorite that captures the fun and the spirit and the energy and the enthusiasm. And uh, so the kids, we had several kids at Bell Mead that decided they were going to learn it, and they learned it before they could read. They learned it by listening to the YouTube video on the way back and forth to school over and over and over till their siblings got sick of it. But they they could recite it and they recite it now. Um, now of course now they can read. You know, this is five or six years later, they're ten years old. But those kids are just amazing. Can they do they all do it together? Do they say it all at once? Or do you Yeah, there are three a- of them. There are three. Yeah, they're two sisters, um, Neely Dozier and Ruby Dozier, and their and one of their best friends, um, Emmeline Cooper, and um, you know their families are all very active in the hunt. Um, but these two sisters and their friend get up there and they say it together. Well, I have they're, to ask. With it, it sounds like, do y'all practice before? Do we practice what? Any of it. It sounds somewhat yeah. choreographed but it it, it, it sounds a, delightful you're right there's a lot of choreography we practice for months we practice going up and lining up the people and the horses we practice the hounds standing there and being bored for a while we practice with we take a loudspeaker system up there because a lot of the hounds wig out um when they first hear it until and so it desensitizes them to the speaker system um we we yeah we practice we you know it's just routine for the month and a half prior to opening meet we spend a few minutes practicing the blessing and we'll make announcements and whatever from up there but while everybody's in that formation and it just gets to be routine so ep you get a lot of people from town who who are not necessarily riders or fox hunters who come out is it kind of like a town festival or a community festival is that is that kind of exactly how? Mm-hmm. That's the question. One of my friends, one of my neighbors says, um, he said, Epp says, my three favorite days of the year are Christmas, July the 4th, and the tally-ho. And said, don't tell my wife, but the tally-ho is actually my favorite day of the year. And they, they call it, and it's, you know, instead of opening meat, the, the locals call it the tally-ho. And I'll see them at church or, or whatever at the, at the feed store and say, when's the tally-ho? When's the tally-ho? And this always the first Saturday in November, but it's a big deal. It's one of the largest events that our community has um, annually, and it doesn't cost the tourism budget anything. You know, it's not like it takes sponsorship money from tourism or chamber to do it. We we just do it, and we make money at it. We charge $50 a head for the tickets on the wagons, and it, it buys a lot of, a lot of hound feed for the year. So the wagons, are they horse-drawn? No, uh, most of them are drawn by four-wheel drive trucks. They'll be oh, okay. two or three pulled by, by tractors. Um, and But they, most of them are drawn by uh, four-wheel drive trucks. That's that's really interesting. It's it's uh, it's just amazing how different hunts have different traditions and how they... They, you know, they change everything. And um, so what kind of, you know, experience do you have on the wagon? Are there refreshments, drinks? What's, what's happening? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Everybody, and how much action do they see? 
everybody brings a cooler. They bring, you know, they bring beer and wine and hot wings and nachos and um, all kinds of, you know, all kinds of refreshments, shrimp, whatever they, you know, sandwiches and, um, and typically you'll have certain groups, like there'll be a company sponsor for a wagon and they may have their banner on the side or you'll have a family sponsor wagon. They'll invite their friends and, um, but you bring a picnic basket with more than you can eat and drink and you share it with everybody else. Um, so that works out well. And we have, we also choreograph the hunt. It's the one day a year that we lay a drag. Um, we actually, um, we lay two drags. We have four pre-planned stops during the course of the afternoon for the wagon train. And uh, basically you circle the wagons up on a big hill and lay a drag in and out of the woods and over a couple of jumps or whatever that simulate a live hunt. And, um, and put the hounds on it and run it and hoop and holler and I blow the horn like like it's a real hunt and um and they cheer and holler and um they have a big time and then as we're moving um as we're moving to the next spot you know we'll we'll let the wagons go ahead of us on a, and get just around the bend just beyond a couple of jumps and then we'll come through with um you know with 50 of us riding um, and take the jump. And then the 50 hilltoppers come on around the bend and it's quite a, it's well choreographed and it's fun and it gets a lot of people from town that don't care a thing about a horse or a hound they, they, to come out and see what fox hunting is all about. And we'll have people from Augusta, Atlanta. We had a charter bus from Atlanta and a charter bus from Aiken come over. And, you know, some of the people don't know anything about it. But they, I'm sure there's some there's some people that um, may not be friendly to fox hunting. And then or they think we're, you know, whatever. They don't know what to think. And when they leave, they're all cheering and boy, this is great. We love fox hunting. We're going to have our own wagon next year. And, um, you know, it's a, like Dennis Foster says, you know, if you like horses, hounds and great outdoors, fox hunting is the sport for you. And even if you don't ride, the Tally Hill wagons enable these people to come out and, and get a taste of it. And some of them end up wanting to take riding lessons and getting a horse and, um, end up taking up fox hunting. Most of them don't. They just come out once a year and and support the hunt that way and enjoy a day in the country. So I know there's a couple of other hunts. Um, I know I know there's one in the Carolinas that does the tally-ho wagons. So have you had folks from other hunts come to Bellmead and then take back the tally-ho wagon idea? Or is that just, did you guys yeah. get it from somewhere else? Or how, how does that spread? Because I want to incorporate it now with Brazos Valley. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know. All right. My father, Mr. Knox, started the hunt when I was nine, and we hunted two years in Aiken, and they didn't have a tally wagon at the time. If they were, I don't know that there had been one. I've heard of other hunts having them that didn't get it from us, but we're the first hunt that I ever heard of having them. 
and um, it's sort of like you know the the hunts in Virginia that have the point to point circuit or whatever is uh, steeplechases or whatever. It's it's a way for people to from town that don't have horses or, but want to come out in the country and and basically the ours is a it's like a rolling football tailgate party that ha- happens to have a a fox hunt going on in the background instead of a football game and uh, one of the one of the neighbors um is in the uh jiffy john business and he has a custom wagon with 12 jiffy johns if you got 500 people out there and 487 of them drinking beer you need a lot of you need a jiffy john going along with them so we got a, a trailer that hauls 12 jiffy johns that goes along with the other trailers and stops when they stop and and um and so we it all it all works and then one of the greatest landmarks we have is the old rock dam which is just what it sounds like and has a wonderful waterfall and we board the creek at the rock dam and as the wagons are in the creek as each wagon gets in the actual creek they stop and take take pictures of the dam and the waterfall and then move on, make way for the next one. And we're down there with the horses and the hounds and hollering and cheering back at them. And, you know, that's, how often do you get to ride a wagon in Florida Creek these days? You yeah, know, not, sort of not too often. The afternoon for most people. So do, do you get to uh, interact? Do you get the Tally Ho wagon folks interacting with the hounds at all? Do they get to meet them? you know, talk to them? I mean, is there an interaction yeah, when there? We, yes. When we stop, um, when we have our breaks, particularly the, the last break is Champagne Hill, um, the drags are over and we'll, uh, we'll mix and mingle and folks, you know, we might have 30, 40 people out there in amongst the pack um, playing with them and petting them and, you know, fooling with them. And we've, you know, we encourage that. We welcome that. So that that works out. That's a very positive part of the day as well. That just sounds fantastic, Ep. Uh, we, you know, I've been meaning to get down there for years. I think one of these days I'm actually going to make it happen. Oh. You know, well, you just, don't have to wait till opening meet. That's a year away. Just come on down. We'll we'll have a wagon, a single wagon, any day you want to come. But we generally have eight or ten people that want to follow, and sometimes we'll put them in two in the in the backs of two pickups. But you, we can give you the whole idea. And you ask somebody else if other hunts tried to do it. Um, like Middleton Place does tally ho wagons now, and I think they got it from us and um, Shake Rag Hounds also in Georgia has tally ho wagons on opening meat. And, um, mm-hmm. but we had Lynn Lloyd, we had special guests. That, I just love Lynn and, and Angela Murray, the masters from Red Rock. You know, we did the heart forward tour and we, we hunted with them during the centennial. And, um, but we hunted with them and spent about a week with them hunting, not only in their Nevada, their regular country, but also in um, Montana on this Heart Forward tour. And um, they're just wonderful. And, and they came and hunted with us on opening meet. And they, they, they were fascinated. And they, um, and 
they want to incorporate, they want to do the whole thing. They want to do the, the blessing ceremony, the choreograph, the, the whole deal, the laying the drag and everything. They want to do that out in, in uh, Reno. They think it would be a hit. And, um, and so we're excited, you know, we're excited for them to see it. And it's good PR in the community. A, a lot of, another part of the PR is the landowners, you know, when I got a landowner that has 3,000 acres and he said, hey, may, I, may I have some tickets for opening meat for myself and my friends? You know what my answer is? Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How many would you like? How yeah. many, exactly. And, uh, yeah, so if, if it's 10 or 20 or 30, I mean, you know, they're landowners and uh, we can't hunt without land. And it's a big deal for the landowners to be able to invite their friends and um so that's a that's a real positive thing too and the fact that the landowners and the friends know that everybody else is paying fifty dollars a head for the tickets it's a it's a you know the thing you do things for landowners that you can't put a dollar value on and this is one of those things um so if if a hundred out of the five hundred people riding are riding free because they're on land on the wagons, hey, it, it works. It it works. It's fine. It's um, you know, the PR value of it is way more than the income that we might have gotten otherwise on the tickets, and it's not like they displaced somebody else. So it's it's a celebration, a festival, a joyful festival day celebrating fox hunting in the great outdoors it sounds fantastic so um just briefly before we wrap it up here tell us a little bit about uh about the hark forward tour because i know you know that was a big thing that happened last season i know it was a fundraiser for mfha and and uh you basically traveled across the country hunting with a bunch of different people and you know i'd love to hear a little bit about that well, I had the best job in all of fox hunting. My job was to wave the flag of fox hunting all across America. And that that was so much fun. It was such an honor. Um, I was delighted when Tony called and asked, asked me to do it. And um took me about a nanosecond to say yes. And um, But we did. We traveled 15,000 miles around. United States and Canada. Um, we we put on twelve performance trials, um, and then we had a bunch of friendship stops. You know, if you drive from here to California, and you're passing by, um, you know, you're passing by the Santa Fe hunt, you're passing by Tejon, you're passing by Santa Inez, you're passing by Grand Canyon. You know, they they are all attending one of the performance trials, but while we're in the neighborhood, we just we just leapfrogged our way all of the way across the country. You know, we didn't drive from Georgia to California with the horses. That wouldn't have been that would have been hell on us and the horses. But we we you drive a day, rest the horses a day, and hunt a day. You drive another day, rest the horses, and hunt two days, and just leapfrogged our way all the way across the country. And it was the greatest experience of my life. Everybody was so 
warm and welcoming and, you know, stayed in people's homes mostly and got to know them in their own country. You know, you meet them at the MFHA seminars and that's fine. But when you hunt with them in their own country and eat with them and have a drink of liquor with them in their home and, um, and you find out their different challenges, um, and how they face those challenges and how they succeed. Um, it was, it was a great experience and, and they appreciate it and we appreciate it. Then the wrap up this last week, this last week at Fitzpatrick was, was the greatest, the most outstanding single event that I've been to of any kind anywhere in my life. It was just fabulous having 24 hunts there, 54 hounds, um, the most passionate fox hunters in the country. Um, great sport both days. Um, outstanding judging. A wonderful hospitality. Uh, the the British judge um, Tim Easby, the uh, executive director of the British MFHA, said that this is a huntsman's paradise. These huge, big, rolling fields with small covers and small hedgerows. Said it's just it was just wonderful, and he said running these coyotes out here uh, is, is adds a level of excitement and harouche that we don't have in England because we don't have the coyotes. That it was just fabulous. It was an incredible gathering. I had a fantastic time. You know, I was I was jealous of everybody who was on horseback because I was in the four wheeler, but. Um, but we got to see some great hound work as well and, and see, you know, just just seeing the judges trying to keep up with the hounds. I mean, I think Tim told me they did eight uh, eight miles and three and a half minutes or, or four miles and three and a half minutes or something. It was just incredible. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And just the gathering was was amazing. You know, the the landscape was, I've never been to Fitzpatrick, Alabama. The landscape was beautiful and just seeing all those hounds work and horses. And it was just a great, great event. Terry, you have a question for Epp? I, I have to ask one question of Epp. Um, I, I'm a re- I live in Texas, but I'm originally from Montana. And so I had to ask you, did you, where in Montana did you hunt? We hunted at Miles City. That's um, my hometown. Are you serious? Yes. Well, we we had a wonderful time there, and the folks were so nice. Um, it was it, they rolled out the red carpet. They had you know welcome to town, and a lot of the little reader board signs that welcome fox hunters, and um, it was it was amazing, beautiful country. Wonderful. Well, I've heard I've heard rumblings that there might be a group going back next year, so I, I'm I'm hoping to tag along. Yeah. Um, uh, Lynn, you know the Red Rock group is going back, so call Lynn and Angela for the date. I think they're going the first week in uh, the first two weeks in May because there's a bucking horse auction or something. It's the bucking horse sale. My dad ran it for twenty years. You're kidding. Yep. Well, do you know Angela and Lynn? I've been connected with them. So I'm I'm for sure planning to drive up. And we actually have a few listeners who live kind of in that neck of the woods that are hoping to make it over, if not to, to come hunt, to actually just come watch and see it. 
well, it's it's amazing. It it was it was such a wonderful experience. You know, I tell people I've taken the kids out to Grand Canyon and out to California and Redwood Forest and all that, and to do it as a tourist and be in a car, rent a car, and all that stuff, and do the tourist thing is one thing. But when uh, you know, Wendy and I, my daughter and I, did the Centennial eleven years ago, and then when you go out there and figure out the stabling, you know, you plan months ahead and, and you ride the horses in that territory. You experience the land and the countryside and you experience nature at a whole different level than you do when you're a tourist um, just passing through, even if you're out hiking on foot. Um, to be out there on horseback was just so much better experience and more in, 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 it envelops your senses you know, it just draws you into this, you know, America's a wonderful place and there's so much room out West to hunt. It's, it's fabulous. And all these hunts on the East coast that are so crowded. And, um, I wish more people would go out West and, and get that experience. Well, you know, we, we always say in New Mexico that we're, we are the future of fox hunting out here, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, Epp, it's, it's been great to chat with you. Uh, tell us how people can get in touch with Bell Mead if they're in their, in your neck of the woods and want to want to join you, either for a tallyho wagon or to ride. Well, we'd love to have them. Our web address is bellmeadhounds.com, and my email address is fwilson at foxborough.biz. So, fwilson, E-P-P Wilson at F-O-X-B-O-R-O dot B-I-Z. Thanks so much for your time. It's been great hearing about it. And we'll talk to you soon. Great to meet you. Thank you very much. You can find Coverside Magazine at www.ecoveredside.net. Tara can be found at bigskybootcity.com. And you can find the links to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. And if you miss the live show, you can still listen to the recorded version on our website, our affiliate websites, or any podcast player. You never need to miss an episode. Thank you today to our sponsor, the Masters of Foxhound Association. Happy hunting and good night. And good night.